Welcome to the Cocktail Lovers Podcast. I'm Sandra. And I'm Gary. And together, we are the Cocktail Lovers. We're a married couple and we've been writing about cocktails for the past 12 years. But this is the place where we'll be talking about cocktails. We're going to be talking about products. We're going to be talking about books. And we're going to be talking about the bars that we love and we think that you'll love too. We'll also be checking in with some of the biggest names in the industry and asking them to share their top tips with us to help you up your mixing game at home. We like to think of ourselves as your new best friends cocktail wise so let's hear what's on the show this week we are literally all over the place this week in the best possible way we've got product reviews of abasolo a whiskey from mexico and the forge gin co slow gin made with slows picked in england and france Our bar review sees us at the sumptuous arts bar at the San Regis Hotel in Venice, and we learn how to make cocktails in 60 seconds, courtesy of Joel Harrison and Neil Ridley from the UK. Lastly, we chat with Mark Sampson, Director of Content at the World's 50 Best Bars, ahead of the ceremony which took place in Barcelona earlier this week. Listen through right to the end when we hear which bar has made it to the top of the list. But first, we are the cocktail lovers, so let's make ourselves a cocktail. I'm really looking forward to making this cocktail. Actually, I'm I'm always looking forward. I as know. You I was going to say it's not anything. There's not <laughs> much of a surprise, but you look no. super excited. I, what is going I on? I am because for this this particular episode's cocktail, there's a few things going on that right. I've brought into it. First up, did you know that in the US of A, the fourth of October is national vodka day in the u.s but i think we can all yeah share in that celebration right so vodka so i started thinking about vodka and then this week we were sent some really nice glasses waterford crystal Mm. no actually before i start making the drink can i just pass you one because they are things of beauty oh and lovely weighty i love that weight that says class right there Glass in a glass, mm, yeah, absolutely. and it, it, it's, it's a rocks glass, but it's slightly smaller, it's smaller isn't it? It's yeah. quite dinky, it, yeah. And I think the reason for that, having read the information, is that they it's supposed to hold in a little bit more of the aroma, which I think makes mm, sense. Small but mighty, small but mighty, but it's still got that real weight, and they are very, very beautiful. So I'm thinking, right, vodka, I've got nice rocks glasses. What kind of cocktail yeah, is mean, that you heading towards? I don't really think of vodka in rocks glasses. No, you don't. Mm. That's so maybe, maybe you? now you can see why I'm getting so excited. <laughs> <laughs> because I started doing some digging around and I found a really nice recipe from a really nice vodka. And you will remember this vodka called Tenth Muse Scottish Barley Vodka. Yes. Which we actually talked about, I think it was right at the very end of last year on a, one of our episodes. Mm. 
and it was a vodka with a great story and we both really liked yeah. it. Yeah. And and also it is worth noting that, you know, vodka has had a bit of a bad rep lately. Well, not lately, over the past few years, but coming back with some really, really good stuff and Tenth Muse is one of those. It's right it? up there. Is. Mm. So so I found this recipe on on the Tenth Muse uh website and it's been created by and this is another layer of excitement. It's created by the great Dennis Brocky at uh, Claridge's. Mm. So there's a lot of stuff going on here. So I think I better get making it. Yes, you better have. All right. So I, and I like this. You know, when we say when you can build a drink in a glass, mm. that's always, as much as I like shaking and stirring, there's something to be said for keeping it simple. So I've got my lovely Waterford Crystal Little Rocks glasses. I'm going to put in a couple of ice cubes into each. And in terms of ingredients, I've got my tenth muse vodka of which each glass is going to get 50 mil great 50 mil i do love that bottle it's so lovely isn't it it's Mm. it's so beautiful that and the waterford crystal side by side they look kind of made for each other yeah they do really good partnership i think and talking of great bottles bringing in my second ingredient which is italicus right another winner of a bottle and a winner of a ingredient absolutely i mean not everybody will know what italicus is do you can you you want to share it's a a bergamot forward um liqueur made by um giuseppe gallo and it has won a lot a lot of awards not just for the design of the bottle which you must look at on our instagram feed but also for the taste and also because it was this long forgotten category that he's revitalized and brought to life i hope i've given him a little bit of justice there i think that's told the story nicely and i think i've put in so i had uh 50 mil of the 10th muse and then 10 10 mil of italica so it's a little bit of almost like a martini yeah. vibe going on there although it's over ice well, you can have martinis over yeah. ice of course and then lastly i'm just putting topping this up with a little bit of soda that's wow. it. So just not a lot oh i'm looking forward to this that's really nice and then garnish wise mm-hmm. again nice and simple i've got some pink grapefruit so i'm just gonna cut you a little piece of that oops so actually even though it is served in in a rocks glass it probably could be served in in a, a martini glass as well couldn't yeah, it yeah I, I think that's nice actually you can do that you could, yeah. you could lengthen it more i guess with you know, in a highball glass, or you could lengthen it less, and as you say, in the martini glass. Or even having a wine glass, even. Indeed. Mm. And I'm just putting in half a slice of pink grapefruit. No stirring? Uh, or did you stir? I stirred while you were talking. Ah. I should have said. I was concentrating no. so much on what I was saying, I didn't. <laughs> so I've done that, got a little stir, and then lastly, just a little bit of mint in each one. Oh, pretty. Give that little clap to release those lovely oils. Yes. Whoops. Yeah, do make sure that you do that at home, folks, because mint just on its own is is fine. But if you do give it a little clap, it just releases all the oils and aromas and you get that lovely burst of minty freshness Mm -hmm. as soon as you go into the glass. (laughs) There you go. That's all. So it looks really pretty in the glass. And and what does um, Dennis call this? This is called, let me pass that to you, it's called the Tenth Muse Fresh Spiration. So inspiration, but fresh instead of in. So tenth muse, fresh inspiration. Lovely. Let's cheers. Oh, let's do a little cheers. That looks nice. If I do say so myself. Beautiful. Cheers. Thank you. Oh, well done, Dennis. 
well that done too. so nice. Mm. And also the vodka really comes through. So tip top. I love it. So my product this week is Abasolo El Whiskey de Mexico. And the reason I'm going for this, do you remember, I think it was the very last episode of the previous season we reviewed a lovely liqueur and we both really liked that really and then in the course of our discussions we had discovered that they the same people at the same distillery Mm. also made a whiskey we thought wow gotta try that and it was the last of the season so we thought right hold it over let's hold it over and here we are back in mexico marvelous so this is their whiskey. And as I said to you before, I was delighted then to discover that whiskey was the birthplace of corn. And 10,000 years ago, and you said, yeah, I know that. <laughs> Did I say that? <laughs> yeah, and you said it like that. Yeah, I know that. Um, I bet I was lying. I probably... <laughs> in my puppyish way, I was really excited about that. So this whiskey is crafted and distilled with 100% Mexican. Uh, you say about my pronunciation, stand back, folks. <laughs> this is distilled with 100% present mexican cacaway sinle okay mm-hmm. right i think i got that right mm. mexican listeners please correct me otherwise yeah. don't don't um, write to him please <laughs> so this is this technique it's been passed down for 200 generations by local farmers and it's they use a process here called nixamalization which is a 4,000-year-old, listen to these figures, folks, 4,000-year-old technique, which is usually used for food preparation, but they say it hasn't been used before for whiskey production. So interesting things. So we'll see. So the bottle... Yeah, I uh, love that bottle. Yeah, I'll pass it over to you. You can have Mm. a closer look, but it looks good anyway from a distance. It's where it's kind of brick-like. Yeah, I was just going to say, it's like a, a very, it's a brown brick, isn't it? Yeah, but a beautiful brown brick. Beautiful brown brick, but it has that lovely um, white label at the front and some beautiful engraving down the side, the yeah, textured things with that, the Abasolo that, that, down the yeah, side. It, looks, really it makes nice. it look really premium. Yeah. It? it feels really premium. And, yes. And, and it's a textured, textured glass. It's one it's of those really bottles, lovely. You know, certain bottles, like glasses, because we were talking about glasses at the beginning. Mm. You hold them and you want to keep holding yeah, them. Yeah, exactly. They, I'm stroking it. It's You're really all. lovely. They feel nice in yeah. the hand. So, yeah, really we, nice. we're loving the look and the feel and the mm. texture and the story. So, should we crack it open? Let's hope the, the liquid lives up to the, the look. So, yeah. it's not all fur coat and no knickers, as they like to <laughs> <Cheeky>. say. <laughs> there you go. There goes the cork. I always, I always give generous tasting measures. You do? Yeah. I, they call me Mr. G, Mr. Generosity. Oh, yes. Maybe that's what it's for. <laughs> so Lovely. let's have a little... Mm. Mm. We both went, mm, yeah. simultaneously. Good start. It's got a nice kind of... I, I was going to say corn, but that's almost as I've been told to say that. What, the colour? Yeah, it's just got a light brightness about yeah. it. Yeah. Sunshine and brightness. incredible legs on the glass. So yeah. these, the when legs we're legs, talking about, yeah, yeah, I was just going to yeah. say, it's about the viscosity of the liquid and, yeah. and the length of time it takes. Once you swirl it around in the glass, the length of time it takes to sort of 
creep down the, the, yeah. the edges of the glass. And this is really, it denotes to me a sort of syrupy, you know, yes. something a bit more um, rich and, and textured. And, and I'm watching your glass as you're talking about it, and it's catching the light, and it, mm. looks, it looks so appealing. Yeah, it As does. I said, it's got that sort of sunshine glow. So, so is it? A whiskey, or has it got no, it a liqueur is. element no, it to it? Because of the, it's, I was just saying, with the it, legs, it yeah, feels yeah. very it, well. It's forty-three percent ABV, mm. but it no, it is totally a whiskey, a hundred percent corn whiskey. And when you nose it, uh, mm. the corn comes through really nice. It does. And, and it's I a nice brightness, isn't forms, it? Yeah. yeah. Have you had a little taste? I have. I have had a little taste. You know, you said it's forty three percent, and it doesn't. It doesn't smack you around the chops like some forty three. No, very smooth. It's really, really smooth, and it's got a lightness and a real brightness to it. Mm. There's something very. You know, that sunny thing. You know, we always say that sometimes it is about association, yeah. but that's what it feels like to me. It's. It hasn't got a really lengthy finish in a way it's just there you get most of it up front it doesn't linger too long but in a good way you know it's just really oh i love that it's funny as well what you say about the sunny thing and i Mm. think it's really interesting because historically certainly when i was growing up you know you always associated whiskey primarily with scotland Mm. and winter and cold nights and warming up all of which I love, by the way. Yeah. But why not have a whiskey that's sunny that is about yeah, exactly. lighter drinking in the really in, in nice. any weather? And again, I don't know if it's because we know this, but you can taste that corn element yeah, to it, can't you? It's really nice. Oh, really. So I, I think this is delicious. And I looked on the website for some uh, serves and I went back and I found, again, we talked about this before. So they have an old fashioned recipe, which is using this and their corn oh, liqueur. Oh, that, that would be, be great. So I think we should really try that. Really nice. I, in fact, I think we maybe should make that for on one, a, of our, one of our recipes in the future. Because, yeah. you know, when you t- read a recipe and you can taste it in your head, definitely. One of those. So, and they also just talk about really simple things about serving it along with coconut water or ginger beer, served with an orange slice, that kind of thing. Very approachable. I think this is a great whiskey. And how much is it? It's around about £39 for a 70cl bottle. We love this. And you can find out details on our Instagram or on our website, thecocktaillovers.com. Marvellous. So now we're coming up with a slow gin. We're coming up slow. to that time of the year where it's colder, it's yeah. wintry, the leaves are changing colour. And I think your gin should change colour yeah, too. The season of mellow fruitfulness Uh, oh hello i love that (laughs) and so what we're doing we are opening a bottle of the ford's gin company slow gin it's called slow gin number two journeys in juniper because um simon ford who is the founder of ford's gin yes yes absolutely Mm -hmm. he's done a couple of i think they're going to be doing lots of different journeys in gin and this is one of them in 2019 they had the officers reserve which we tried and which was brilliant absolutely loved i mean simon is a real gin geek i would say and and in the best possible way absolutely in the best and his original you know it's worth saying forged in the the original 
is great. Absolutely. Yeah. Really, really good. It's a, a passion project, which it we is. love. Yeah. Um, so we're really excited to receive this slow gin because it's one of the things that has been years in creating. Right. He's done it in association with Charles Maxwell of Thames Distillers, who is 11th generation master distiller. So he, he probably knows what he's oh, about. Oh, he, he makes gins yeah. for lots and lots of different people. And Simon and he have a wonderful relationship. So it takes the original forged gin, which has nine botanicals, and mixes them with hand-picked slows, Mm. which come from France and England. And they're steeped together for 12 weeks, making this lovely, unctuous richness. Beautiful. Yeah, uniting. (laughs) You and your accents, you're going all, you're getting all, I don't know. Taking you around. Yeah, exactly. So I'm just going to pour some of this. Slow gin's an interesting thing because, again, it's one of those things that once upon a time it kind of felt a bit... Old-fashioned? Yeah, a bit granny-ish. But it can be so delicious. Listen, every respectable gin company, I think, really wants to do a good slow gin. So it's taking it away from what you say is that granny thing, but making it appealing for modern palates and also for bartenders to mix. So it's not just about sipping it at home. This is something that Simon and and Charles have put together. So you can Uh sip it neat, but also they wanted something for bartenders to play around with. It's sweetened, you know, I've said about the thing that it's been steeped for 12 weeks. Then it's sweetened. They don't add as much sugar as most other slow gins will add. And then they cut it to 29% ABV, which is, it's it's an interesting one because they've said it's higher than most. And it Kind of is, but yeah. there are some that are higher ABV, right. sort of in the 30s. But you certainly normally think of it as lower than yeah, they, yeah, they're sort of 26 or whatever, and but there are some that are higher. But this one, I'm really intrigued. You know, we've had this bottle for a while, haven't opened it. No. We've saved it to share with our listeners. Listener. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you're right. I want the plural. Yeah. So we just want to to see what what it's like because so, it's one of those. Oh, it smells delicious on the nose, doesn't smells, it? Smells fresh, nice smells and fruity, yeah. as you would expect. Again, you know, is it is it association or is it really what's there? But in this case, this is definitely what's there. It's mm. it's rich berries bursting with goodness because oh, we're tasting it. At room temperature, mm. and mm. Uh, it's that word I know we use a lot, but it's for unctuous. It's got unctuous. That, it, it definitely coats is the mouth. It's got, but not you know not in that way. Not in that a you syrupy sp- way. Yes, no. exactly. Because I think that a lot of what and going back to what you said before, where you sort of think of slow gins in a grannyish way, they are very syrupy. Those ones aren't they? Very medicinal. Yeah. But this, this is, is not the best all. kind of medicinal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But also, it's interesting because you said uh, one of the reasons for its mm. creation is for bartenders to play around. But I think also us home bartenders mm. would love to play around with it. It makes me want to go and find a few recipes that say you slow gin mm. and then make it make those recipes, yeah. which I probably have avoided in the past yeah, with this gin. It's lovely. There's gin. lots of sort of cherries and, you know, mm. lovely rich and it fruits looks great and stuff. In the glass, doesn't it? And Glowing. then, yeah, absolutely. And there's also a lot of hints of citrus and whatnot so we Mm. love this Mm. they have got some recipes from bartenders as well good 
another thing I should have said, and I should we'll have said this at the beginning. It's not yet available in the UK, but it is available in the US and it will be coming to the UK soon. And we say as soon as it does, grab yourselves a bottle yes, because indeed. it is super delicious. I'm really enjoying that on its own, to be Me honest. Too. So big thumbs up to Mr. Ford. And um, if you want to see a picture of it, it is on our Instagram feed and look forward to it coming to the UK and in Europe very soon. And now for a cocktail hack from one of our experts. My name is Simone Caporale. I'm an Italian bartender and a very good friend of the cocktail lovers. To make a beautiful drink, an aperitivo, for example, at home, you don't need many things. Don't complicate yourself because aperitivo must be something very simple, something effortless. My idea is to get some vermouth, put it in the fridge, chill it. You don't, you don't have ice? Fine, doesn't matter because it's getting chill on its own. I like to make drinks at home without ice, generally speaking, because you never have so much space in your freezer. So, for example, if you like to make yourself a martini, you don't have ice, measure some gin, put one spoon of water inside of it in a glass, put it in the freezer for five minutes, and that's when you get the dilution from the water. You get the cold temperature from the freezer and your martini is ready, not shaken, not stirred, simply chilled. Recently, we were very lucky to find ourselves in Venice. Yes, for Venice Cocktail Week, which is in its second year. And we had a lovely time just getting to know some of the Venetian bars, which we will be doing a special episode about later. So we'll be sharing that soon, as as Sandra says, a special episode. But we thought we'd give you a little taster with a fabulous bar that was actually in the hotel where we were fortunate enough to be staying. And the bar is called the Arts Bar. Mm. And as I say, it's within a hotel. And this, even this hotel has, has a story to tell. It was originally, the old hotel was the, um, the Hotel Britannia. And it was very, very smart. And it's where Monet, the artist, he used to stay there and lots of other famous people. But three years ago, it had this massive reinvention as the San Regis Hotel. So they've kept everything that's great about that fabulous old hotel and funked it up with some really nice modern touches and art, lots of art, which brings us into the arts bar. Into the arts bar. So that is a beautiful space. It's it's a blend of modern and, you know, historic as well. Lovely um, art pieces from Julian Opie yeah. and different artists that we... Well, Some beautiful sculpture there, which I'd, sadly I can't remember. Well, the name me of the either, artist. but they all look beautiful. Yeah, so of, you know, do some do some on. do some research because it's great and it really does live up to the name of being being the arts bar. So the arts theme is not just a visual thing; it actually does translate to the glass as well. So the actual menu is composed of some amazing drinks, and I love that artistry um, behind the thinking and the creation of these cocktails because they're celebrating the artistry of of venice yes yes and there there are different artists you know so we've got the venetian cobbler which is inspired by 
Jacopo Tintoretto, and it's about the miracle of the slave. And he was one of the Venetian avant-garde artists way back in the day. But they've mixed it up with with some Venetian artists. They've mixed it up with old, new, yeah. modern. There's Monet, because we, we mentioned earlier yeah. that Monet used to stay in the original hotel, so they've got a drink. Uh, inspired by him. Yeah, uh, and also, well, uh, sorry, I cut, cut you there. I'm That's sorry, right. Gary. But no, okay. one of the other things that I wanted to say, because we, we sat and we spoke to Facundo, who is the bar manager, and yeah. he talked us through quite a lot of the rationale behind the bar and the whole thinking and the, the conception of the menu and the way that they derive things. But what I loved was that each cocktail comes with a bespoke glass that has been made yes. especially and, and for Venice that. Is, one of its big things is glassware. Yeah, and so they, they collaborate with um they collaborate with um Murano to make their glassware and each one has been created for that particular cocktail. And yeah. they are things of sheer beauty, yeah. aren't they? And you know you're getting something 100% unique because that, that glass doesn't exist outside that yeah, bar. Yeah, it's that drink. incredible. So, what did you have, Gary? I had uh, a drink called the Negroni Desire, mm. which was in. Of course, you did. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you mean. Inspired by Salvador Dali mm. and he, more importantly by his picture called Birth of Liquid Desires, which is very appropriate, actually. It is, and which he created in 1931. And it's a mixture of amphora aged bear casten bot- botanical gin. Calvados, oh, there he goes with his pronouncement. <laughs> bitter martini reserva special and mm. a, what they call a vermouth mix, which I'm not sure what the Well, maybe mix it's, is. Their, their, it's their secret ingredient. Yes, yeah. Yes. But I, what I thought was really nice up front before we get to the drink itself was they looked at the picture and so they're taking a Negroni, but they looked at the picture and apparently, who knew, Dali was obsessed with the, the story of William Tell. Really? Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> William Tell for me was just a program I watched on TV yeah. when I was little. But anyway, so he was obsessed by William Tell. So in this picture, there is William Tell. So they've taken the apple motif. Uh. Hence the Calvados. So, yes, you know, it's kind of inspirational, but also it makes a really, really interesting drink. Mm. So coming back to your point about the glassware, this was in, I would say, it's kind of like a little, uh, very lightweight rocks kind of glass. But the the colour effect on the outside is very much, it put me in mind of, you know, with Dali, you think of things, that, that effect he has of melting. Oh, paint, yes, yes, yes. Melting. Mm. It, put, it puts you in mind of that. Mm. So there's all this lovely coloured glass that appears to be melting on the outside and it feels nice in the hand. So as for the drink itself, the Calvados, it's not just a gimmick. It worked a treat, bringing mm. an extra dimension to the Negroni. So it was a, a great, great experience. And the third thing, third thing, final thing, <laughs> I'd say, they also, with each of the drinks, they put a nice little display Oh, yes, card, with the art, yeah, like the size almost of a, like a business card. It's yeah. got the art on one side and then it explains, it tells you about the painting and their inspiration. So the complete package, perfect. Yeah. What did you have? I had, um, it's called, what's mine called? The Banksy. 
No, mm. it wasn't called the Banksy. What is it called? But it was inspired by Banksy, right? Yeah, I'm sure it must have had a, a name. But anyway, oh, it was something about sorry, it was about something about war art. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's but it. it's um, yeah. it was inspired by Banksy, and also the during the Venice Biennale when he it was in the Venice Biennale in 2019, and Banksy piece of art appeared on one of the buildings in Venice, yeah. which was a, a Banksy piece of art. So it has got the, the Venice thing, it's got the avant-garde thing, it's got art in there with the Venice Biennale. And being Banksy, they wanted to use something that was a little bit different, I would say, as the base of the cocktail. So yeah. it's something that people know, but they may be, be a little bit intrigued by, they're not quite sure of it, it's very intriguing. So they've gone for a mezcal-based cocktail. Mm, yeah. Vidal, mezcal, fino sherry, orange cur- curacao, house-made artichoke cordial, which brings the Italian element in, grapefruit bitters and lime juice. And it was so lovely. Also, what I loved about it, I'll talk about the glass in a bit, but it had this lovely pink foam, which sort of brought a different artistry about yeah, it. And it echoed yeah. the art, that street art that Banksy did. The glass, again, was, there was something about it that really felt like concrete. Um, yeah, like touching the wall. Yeah, exactly, which is, which is the, the wall yeah. art. So, you know, these things, it's like, you know, people that think that there's no creativity in drinks, they just think that cocktails are thrown together. Oh, yeah. These two that we had were just a real example of how Phenomenal. much thought yeah. and creativity goes into a drink. And it wasn't just about a gimmick. The taste of that was amazing. The mezcal shone through, all of the ingredients shone through. But there was this nod to the art of Banksy and, you know, it's just and the, incredible. And the, hotel. and the thing is, I think with all menus, if you strip away all of the inspiration and yeah. just pick up the drink and drink it. Yes. Two great drinks. Yeah, absolutely. We love this bar. And, you know, there, there's the Arts Bar, but there's also the San Regis Bar if you want to go there as well. And they have this wonderful Bloody Mary. That's yeah. something that all of the San Regis hotels around the world, they have their own signature Bloody Mary. We tried this one and it was fantastic. Yeah, it's it, called it, the it, Santa it, Maria. Yeah, and it's a Bloody Mary, but not as you know it. Yes. I, mean, I think the tomato was clarified, so the whole drink was clear. So it didn't even look like a bloody beret. It was quite short. It was served on the rocks. Yeah, really lovely. Um, and even they'd done something with the spice mix so that mm. the spice didn't give the drink a colour. And it tasted really intense. Not a bloody Mary, but not as I know it. Yeah. And then there's also the spritz trolley. So there's so many great things to mm. discover and delight in. So we highly recommend it if you're in Venice. Do do visit the Arts Bar and the San Regis Bar at the San Regis Hotel. And as we say, we'll be coming back with our Venice special very soon. There's a brand new issue of the Cocktail Lovers magazine available now, and it's the storytelling issue. In it, we take a look at some of the fascinating, fun, intriguing, and perhaps mythical stories of the cocktail world's people, places, products, and much, much more. You can get your copy in print or digital by simply going to thecocktaillovers.com slash magazine. My book review is something called, and this is one of those wonderful ones that you know exactly what you're going to get. It's called 60 Second Cocktails, Amazing Drinks to Make at Home in a Minute. Uh, 
already i'm like i'm like isn't that, that brilliant that's exactly what you should know you know it's all there so it's written by joel harrison and neil ridley two great writers we we know them and they appear on tv they do some really really good stuff they can do really highbrow things but also what I love about this is something is really, really simplified and they've taken all of this great knowledge of cocktails, but stripped it back and made it really accessible, friendly, engaging, and most of all fun, which is what cocktails should be. They so, should be, of course. And, and right, disclaimer, I have not tried to see if they actually do take 60 seconds, but even if they take 67 seconds i'm yeah. not going to we're to hold not, <laughs> we're not we're going to for our money back <laughs> no you know why because Strong i just letter. love the way that they've broken this all down yeah. there's lots of really thought out devices in it to you know to to make it really uncomplicated because as we know that a lot of people think that making cocktails is really hard you know they, they need lots of equipment yeah. it's going to be really laborious or geeky or whatever but this really dispels all of those myths. So it's broken down into lots of lovely sections. So before you even get to the recipes, they've done some, you know, great descriptions of everything from the barware to the spirit categories, you know, garnishes and things like that. Nothing new, because I guess most recipe books do do that. But what I love is their way that they've used their language to make it like they're talking you through rather than preaching you through through all of the right. the details um shall i dip in at random and yeah pick one out? don't don't pick the recipes yet let all me right. just just go into okay. a little bit more you, detail okay. you know me i always want to get to a recipe yeah exactly okay. but before we I'll get to on. that yeah. it's you know there's lovely simple letter glance illustration to show the processes of each of the drinks it shows you the glassware it shows you the garnish you need and the equipment what i like also that they've divided the cocktails into four different flavor groups so you have simple and refreshing sweet and fruity spicy and dry complex and rich so you know that's exactly. a very good idea yeah actually. and then yeah. and then yeah. not only that they twin it with occasions so you have celebration stroke party starter easy going every day warming and indulgent or chic and sophisticated so you'll get the the flavor flagged up yeah and then you'll also get the occasion flagged up so i think that that it really guides you to the cocktail that you need and then what i also love is that it's divided into three sort of chapters right. so you get the no shake sherlock <laughs> which, <laughs> I which like is, that. <laughs> yeah there, there is, that's the other thing because it yeah. is friendly it's very yeah, engaging yeah. it gives you this little little nod and a smile so there's no shake sherlock these are the easy to make requiring little or no preparation and they use standard spirits and and mixers then you get shake it up which is slightly more complex that need a quick shake or a stir and then you get magnificent mixes Ooh. which are special drinks for the more decadent drinking occasion oh. which require a little more prep or an unusual ingredient so you know exactly what you're going to get and then the other thing that they have is an index of recipes by spirit so you know yeah, you, I like that. yeah exactly you if know. you if you like gins or whatever so i really like. i really like the thought processes so it's something that's 
seems simple, but there's a lot of work that's gone behind yeah. it to put all of that together. So, Mr. Well, Gary, you yeah, choose a recipe that you and, like. And as I choose a recipe, um, I will also comment on the design. Because mm. in the same way that you said the the language is very engaging and in, 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 informative, uh, the look is very nice and clean. It's, it's really clean. On the I eye. love it. I easy love it. On. The mm. photography is Really, really beautiful, but without trying to be too arty. That's like you just look at the drink and think. So you can see that what it nice. is. Yeah, I think I could mm. make that. So with that in mind, I've gone for the olive oil Gibson. Mm. So I like the sound of this because olive oil again. It might be you might think, oh, that's more of a drink I might have out. Yeah, but can I make it at home? And according to these guys, you can in sixty seconds. In, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's three parts gin, half a part dry vermouth, and a drizzle. Of olive oil. I think I could probably do that in 60 seconds. Yeah, and you know? also because yeah. they and have got great. these lovely illustrations, the little line drawings, so you can see immediately what you need. Yeah. It's a sort of step-by-step thing. And are you going to It really one? helps. Yeah. Yes, yeah. let me see what... But you can look forward to the olive oil martini, my friend. Well, I've opened up it, this totally at random. It's the firecracker margarita, mm. and it's described as spicy and dry and warming and indulgent. It sounds like you. <laughs> Especially the dry part and the spicy and the dry and the indulgent. You're right. All of the above. <laughs> so it's just really nice. It's all slipped. You know, we didn't say that they've got the glassware, all of the... It's just really, really perfect. So I recommend this for the home bartender. We're all yeah. going to be entertaining at home a little bit more. Let's yeah. let's put it yeah. that way. In the coming season. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And or if you want to give it as a gift, because we also should be thinking now about... Christmas gifts as well. Highly recommend this one. As I said, it is 60 second cocktails, amazing drinks to make at home in a minute. And it's by Joel Harrison and Neil Ridley. It's published by Octopus Books and it is at the bargain price of The World's 50 Best Bars is an annual list which recognises the very best in the international drinks industry. Every year it provides an annual ranking of bars as voted for by drinks experts from all around the world. This year this highly prestigious list is revealed in Barcelona where it's counted down from number 50 with increasing anticipation to the accolade of number 1. Since its launch, it's grown and expanded, including an additional list of bars ranked from number 51 to 100 and its first regional list, Asia's 50 Best Bars. Who better to tell us all about it then than the world's 50 Best Bars Director of Content, Mark Sansom. A former editor of Food and Travel magazine and food and drink editor on Men's Health, at the world's 50 Best Bars, Mark is responsible for overseeing the voters, collating content for the website and 50 Best Discovery, its recommendation guide and plenty more besides. Mark, welcome to the Cocktail Lovers podcast. Gary, Sandro, thank you very much. That's um, that, that's a wonderful introduction. It's like you read it off my bio page on the website. <laughs> <laughs> it seems so, doesn't it? So the world's 50 best bars, it's a biggie. Something that means a lot to the lucky 50 who have made the list. 
But let's start at the beginning. When did this world's 50 best bars list start? And how long have you been part of it? Of course, of course. So the world's 50 best bars launched in 2009. It's quite a smaller operation than it is today. And our first ceremony was in 2012. So 2022 marks 10 years since our first ceremony, which I think you guys, you guys were, were present at 10 years ago to 10 years ago next week. And so, yeah, after 10 years, we thought it was, it was high time to take it on the road. And hence why, hence why we're all in Barcelona this week. For our listeners, could you explain, Mark, a little bit about the logistics of how the list is put together? It's a lot of work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of the biggest piece of work that I've ever been involved with. And there's obviously lots of bars rankings and, and bars websites out there. But it's the robustness of our voting process and our structure that I'm really happy to defend to the hilt and sort of tie our colours to on the regular. So, yeah, so we have 28 different regions all across the globe. When I joined in in 2019, there were there were five regions, um, continental-based. And what we've done since then is to try and follow the model which we've established with the world's 50 best restaurants, which is our sister list, slightly more mature. That was launched in 2002, which now has 27 global regions. So since I joined one of my, um, well, I was sort of tasked to by our MD, Tim Brick Webb, to grow the brand in the way that we grew the world's 50 best restaurants. So yeah, each of those 28 different regional regional academies is each headed by an academy chair. Now, those academy chairs are impartial to bars. They're generally drinks journalists, um, much like yourself, Sandra, Gary, um, people who know the industry, speak to bartenders on the regular, speak to brands, know what that local scene is about. And the closer that we can get to those regional scenes, the more confident that we are is that we're getting the best voters. Now, each of those 28 Academy chairs, each picks a panel of voters. And the breakdown of those, so we always go for 50% uh, bartenders and bar owners, 25% drinks writers and drinks educators, and the final 25% we call um, cocktail aficionados, which are essentially bar flies who give us a very different perspective than those people who are behind the bar or writing about the bar. We've got 650 voters total across those 28 regions. And then, yeah, once a year, we ask them to cast a vote for their seven favourite bar experiences of that year. Now, we, we really set our stall out that there are no criteria that those bar experience have to have to meet. We don't ask for um, a tick list a la Michelin for restaurants. We All we want to know is the best seven bar experiences that you've had that year. And so yeah, and essentially we just compute the votes. We wait for those votes to come in, knowing bartenders are always a little bit late. So we have to extend that, um, extend that voting window. And then we hand over our um, voting data to Deloitte. And I think, I believe, I think I'm correct in saying that we're the only bars ranking that is independently adjudicated by a, a professional consultancy agency like Deloitte. And then I get the list back and then I try and keep it a secret until next Tuesday. Blimey. One other thing I'd like to pick up on that. You say like each voter gets seven votes, but I believe it's right as well. You can't, if I was in UK, I can't just vote for seven UK or if I was in Spain, I can't just vote for seven Spain. Absolutely. Yeah, right, Gary. Um, I didn't want to go into too much detail on that because in recent years, it's with the pandemic, we've tried to create as level playing field as possible. 2019 and prior, everyone was given seven votes, five of which could come from their home territory, two of which had to, had to be uh, international votes. 
since the pandemic. We've slightly changed that because we still want the, the, the absolute optimum calibre of voters. They still have seven votes, but we, offer, we also offer them the option of the final two being unable to travel. So they can, they can vote for a maximum of five from their home territory. And if they have been lucky enough to travel, fortunately, we're, we're opening back up again, as we're seeing everywhere. They're, they're able to activate those two votes. But yeah, exactly right, Gary. Yeah, it's five from home territory to international. So just for our, our listeners, can you describe, if you were voting, what would you be looking for in your top seven bars? So, I mean, the first thing to, I think, to understand is I don't vote. None of the employees of, of 50 Best Vote. The only named voters are the 28 Academy chairs. The uh, my, my maths isn't the best, but the other... Um, 632 or 622 yeah they're they're all anonymous right (laughs) so nobody knows who they are and if and if we if we get any sort of revelations of people breaking their anonymity their votes are completely struck through and they're sacked as voters and they'll never vote vote with us again but the kind of things that i look for i mean we, we try and make it as objective and subjective as possible i mean what i think of is a good is a good bar experience is going to be different to you Although Sandro, we've had we've had plenty of uh, decent Many. <laughs> plenty of decent bar experiences together, so I think we're probably on the same page. So I, I want to know what our voters in Asia's best bar experience is as much as I do mine. So in per- personal terms, I look for the hospitality experience, that first contact point with guests, how I'm made to feel when I walk through the doors. That for me defines the bar experience. It's less about what it's what's in the glass or what kind of glassware it's in. It's about how I feel the soundtrack that's playing, the people I'm with. And if all those things align, then then we're in for a good night. So actually being on the list, we know because we've, you know, we've followed it uh, over the years and we, we've seen it grow in stature and how much it means to bars to be on that list, let alone being number one, but even just being on the list. So what impact do you think it has for the bars themselves to find themselves on the list? Yeah, I mean, it's this is a question I ask myself quite a lot. You know, I think it's it's peer recognition in one thing to know that you've been you've been recognised by your peers as one of the top fifty or the the fifty one to one hundred bars in the world, particularly post pandemic. That's really really important to sh- to get that sort of recognition from people who have been in the same boat while everyone's been struggling. But I think at the end of the day, it's it zeros on balance sheet. You know. Our biggest audience are consumers. Our website gets hit by hundreds of thousands of people looking for bars to go to. And I, I don't want to name any names, but I've had several reports um, from bar owners and, and bar operators who have said that you, we came onto your list and then we, our turnover went up sort of by four or five zeros in big digits. So at the end of the day, the bottom line is what, the, is what we, we, we send guests to bars. We put bums on seats people who might not have usually been to those bars so fresh custom fresh guests which um which i think is probably why we've we've remained as relevant as we has Mm, it's fantastic so this is the first time you've said it's 10 years this is the first time that you've taken the ceremony outside of london and we're going to barcelona so tell us, tell us why, why Barcelona? Yeah, so I mean, it, it's been like you said, it's ten years since we were since we've been in London, and we're fo- kind of following the path that's been trodden by the world's fifty best restaurants, which has been on the road for some time. And and the the ideology behind it is essentially to shine a light 
on a greater number of cocktail capitals, cosmopolitan cocktail capitals than we have than ever before. I mean, the bar community loved congregating in London. That, that's that's not to be denied. But we spent probably 18 months thinking about which city we wanted to bring the awards to next. And Barcelona just kind of sung out to us. I mean, we, we're based in London. The time difference is an hour. It's, um, it's a two-hour flight from London, so our team can get across very easily. It's also very well accessed from everywhere in the world. So we want as many people as possible to come to our ceremony. And I'm, I'm super pleased to report that 49 of 50 bars our biggest ever will be will be at the ceremony on, on Tuesday. Yeah, the only the only guys that can't make it are the Cantina OK uh, team from Sydney, but we've got forty nine of fifty. So that's people coming in from Japan, uh, Argentina, Colombia, uh, Hong Kong. It's it, the, Barcelona. I only arrived this afternoon, but it's already bouncing. You can feel the feel the vibe here. And yeah, so we looked at a city which really values quality hospitality. The gastronomy in Barcelona is is so well established, and the scene. People just understand good food and drink, and we 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 hope that we'd be we'd be welcomed in um, in a city that really gets hospitality and will welcome bartenders. And my God, next week is going to um, is going to be something. <laughs> it's going to be focused, <laughs> and I can't bloody wait. Yeah, well, and on and on that, um, you talked about the city. What about the actual space? Because I believe it's getting bigger and bigger. The the, the venue, the awards venue. The venue. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The venue. oh Gary, don't uh, don't talk to me about it. I mean, I've, uh, but the, I'm the, afraid the, we have to. Mark. Yeah, uh, the fifty best ops team, which who are the most underrated team anywhere in this in this uh, in the bar world, is um, they've had a, they've had a tricky few weeks. They're um, they're certainly some of the most talented people I've ever worked with in journalism in events they they deserve all the credit it's not um it's not me and the content team and and our our managing director that deserve it it really is those guys but um yeah so we decided to hold the event on top of a shopping mall which used to be which used to be which used to be a ball ring so you can imagine a kind of uh, circular circular space so yeah this uh, circular space on top of a shopping mall four stories up if you can you can imagine where that is it's only serviced by one one goods lift so we've also got a record number of sponsors this year or partners we've got 28 partners 21 of whom have got an activation so we have a limited build time to get all of their gear all of their drinks all of their uh, the bar builds up into into the sky essentially we also it's also it's not an events venue per se so the ops team have got to build a, a stage. They've got to put all of the AV in there, as well as fitting nearly 1,100 people and 28 brands and 21 activations. So, yeah, we're looking at the biggest event, well, double the size of any other 50 best event that we've done before. There's going to be 1,100 people. It's, it's absolutely monster. And we've really, we're, there's an argument to say that we may have bitten off more than we can chew, but I, uh, <laughs> never, I, never. Like, I, back, I, I back the guys that, um, that, that have said that they're going to do it. And yeah, we're, we're working with, with a great team on the wow. ground and it's going to be, it's going to be a special night on Tuesday. I've got no doubt. But also not just Tuesday, because there's so much going on in the city for celebrating this wonderful event that you're going to be hosting. Can you tell us some, I know that this will go out after the event has hosted, but can you tell us some of the things that you're looking forward to as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I only did a count up yesterday, which was, which was Friday. There are 69 uh, satellite guest shifts events going on in Barcelona at that time. 
And I, I'm sure I'm missing some when I'm counting that. And that's not including the the three official 50 best events that we're running, which are the Bartender's Feast on the Monday, which is a closed event just for those guys on the on the list on the on the Tuesday, and then the recovery brunch on the on the Wednesday, which is a first for us. Which I hope you've booked your flights out late because that's going to be it's going to be a good day on the Wednesday. But it's just great to see that everyone has come at it in the way that we wanted to with such sort of enthusiasm and gusto. And that's even brands that we don't work with, bars which have never been on our list before. They're all doing guest shifts in and around the city, which is exactly what we want. With 50 Best, obviously, we can only celebrate 50 or 100 bars at any any one time. But with our 50 Best Discovery platform, which now has 2,500 bars and restaurants which have received votes from out from the academy I was speaking about earlier it means we can extrapolate that the good the, the good feeling the good vibes and the number of people I'm sure you've heard it as well but the number of people who have um, who are heading to the city next week and really like they're asking for tickets they want to be involved it's um, it's it's really quite flattering to us to be honest we're, we're, we're a, a bars list which tries to tries to really build community and I, I don't think there's ever any better indicator of what's going to be happening in Barcelona next week that we've been quite successful in that. I want to say how 50 Best translates to the consumers. How does that work for people like us? Okay, not us, but for, for our listeners who want to get a great bar experience, how does 50 Best fit into their lives? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a really and that's a question that we ask ourselves every day. How can we be a better conduit between industry and consumer? We're really, really fortunate that the strength of our social media team, led immaculately by Purchase and Mandy, our social platform is probably our best avenue to communicate with guests. Um, I, at the last count, I, I'm not actually sure the, the complete number of followers we've had, but it's in the multiple hundreds of thousands. And we know that our followers are super engaged with all of the, all of the content that we, that we, that we put out there. We spend a lot of time working on tone of voice. We really want to communicate to those consumers in a language they understand. It's not a language which the industry understands. We don't want to be talking about rotavap, centrifuge stuff, the technique stuff, and which is interesting to people with that kind of that kind of level of knowledge and that kind of interest. We want to make it easy for them. We want we want them to know where they can go for a great drink on a Friday night. Where if they like sweet amami-led uh, cocktails that we send them there if they like sweet cocktails if they want to go to a venue for a date on a friday night we try and distill all that and try and take what we know about the the cocktail scene and the infrastructure behind it and really communicate that in as simple language as possible and that for us the 50 best discovery site which i mentioned earlier on that's our really egalitarian look at 50 best and we'd really try and put how how the years of barcraft and and, intel- and like bar intelligence and training that it takes to to become a great bartender our main thing and our main tenet for next for the next few years is really trying to communicate that to the consumer so they don't think it's a gap job they don't think it's something that you might do when you're at university we really want to show and shine the light on how many years it takes to be to be named the roku industry icon or uh, one of the one of the top awards at tales it's it, it's such a it's such an important role for us to really bridge that gap between consumer and industry. And, and yeah, we take it very seriously indeed. And also the other thing I wanted to say that the list encompasses so many different genres. It's not just about hotel bars. It's not dive bars. It's everything. So there is something for everybody. So it's not just about thinking because you're ranked as the world's 50 best that you have to be these, you know, swanky dress up affairs. It's for every mood and budget, isn't it? 
Literally. I mean, you've taken the words right out of my mouth there, Sandra. I mean, one thing that we're really, really proud of as a list is there's been such a variety of number ones. Now, we've had, sure, we've had the swanky hotel bars win. Uh, Connaught Bar has been the, been, the, been the world's best bar sponsored by Perry for the last two years. We've also had Artesian, another great bar at the Langham, which is a hotel bar in London. But yeah, we've also had the Dead Rabbit, which is essentially a boozer, a boozer in New York. <laughs> we've also had Dante which is an aperitivo bar, super casual, great drinks. And so it's that kind of mix at the top, which is also like um, permeates down through the other, through the rest of the bar, the, the list of bars that really, really gives us reassurance that we're on the right track with our voting strategy. Like you say, last year's year, I think it was the year of the dive bar. We'll wait, we'll wait and see to see if that's, um, if that's the same this year. But yeah, we, we absolutely try and accommodate as many different styles of venue and it's really reassuring year on year that we can give that variety to guests because i mean look same as you guys i love to go into the connaught bar for a martini get dressed up and that's lovely but i also want to go to a dive bar like two schmucks uh and and head into a place where i can go in in jeans and trainers but also receive that level of service receive that level of drink craft but without having to um having to put a face on for it and that's everywhere in the world. So it's not just about London or New York. It's everywhere that you go in the world. And that's what makes us so happy that we know that any destination we go, there is a brilliant bar to be found. So thank you so much for continuing to do a great job. And we look forward to checking in for part two when we find out who the best bar is. Cannot wait to discuss it with you guys. And thank you so much for having me on. It's been uh, been an absolute joy and I can't wait to see you uh, for a few drinks on Tuesday night. Thank you so much. So the world's 50 best bars. Yes, it's all been announced. It's the day day after the night night before. <laughs> the day day after the night night before. Well, we were travelling back. Yeah. So it's um, one of those. So a little bit later than planned. Yeah. But it was in a really fantastic ceremony, as mm. we said, in Barcelona, Barcelona for the first time. And what, twice as big as anything before? It was. Like it that. was about one and a half times the size. Wow. And it was lovely seeing lots and lots and lots of lovely faces. The only bar on the top 50 list that didn't make it there was Cantina OK in Sydney. So all of the rest from everywhere. That's incredible. It 49 is. 49 out of the 50. Yeah, exactly. I think it's the there. biggest so far. So, who's number one? Well, yes, we want to share who's number one. Mm. But I think what's also interesting over the years, the way 50 Besters have evolved, that there are some sub sort of categories. Yes, exactly. And they're really, really fantastic. So, there's um, different ones, special awards. One was for the Remy Martin Legend of the List, which went to Licoria Limontour from Mexico. Brilliant. Fantastic. Campari One to Watch is a great one. That was from a bar in Sweden. I'm called Rude Husset. So that means we should keep an eye on them. Yes, definitely. We had the Roku Industry Icon Award, which is a fantastic one, because this is one that people aspire to, and it's ones that people want to be part of this list. Who doesn't want to be an industry icon? Oh, absolutely. And that was, is... 
Agostino Peroni. And so he's Fair not, you tactic. know, yeah, absolutely yeah. so well deserved. And sometimes people think of that industry icon award as being somebody that's older, you know, but he is a real example of someone that champions people coming through. He works so well with all of his team and everybody, everybody in the industry and, respects and, him. And we should just point out that he is uh, the Connaught. Yes. Oh, yes. Di- di- I think his title is Director of Mixology. Is that correct? Yes. But anyway, he is the head honcho. Yeah, he is. The, the Connaught. And he's been there for over 10 years. And he, I, he's Well, very, he's there right from the beginning. Yeah. And he's really, he's really good at bringing people through. He rises. He brings people as he climbs. Yeah. They climb as well. And he's and very, very humble. Yes. So an incredibly well-deserved award. Indeed. And the Kettle One Sustainable Bar Award went to our friends at Little Red Door in Paris. And they were absolutely thrilled with that, as they should do, because they've been working really hard on that menu. And and leading the charge on that whole area. Exactly. For the Mictors Art of Hospitality Award, that went to Hanky Panky in Mexico City as well, who who we spoke to last year on our podcast because they they were um, winners in the in the world's 50 best on that or not winners but one of the winners highest new entry i think the altos bartenders bartender of the year went to john chung who is a french descent but he's actually in colombia and he's doing some amazing things at his at his bar so that is another one that people aspire to because that is your peers voting for you so that's amazing and then the best cocktail menu went to diverso by juliana that's one i don't know actually this is in ecuador Right, And so it's nice. This was a representation of the whole awards, actually, because there's so many different countries and cities and yeah, names and things like that. That's what I was about to say mm. on the, the ones you've gone through so far, that it's, it really feels very international. So it's not just about one or two countries no. or cities. And we had um, new entries from places from Florence. There was one from Naples. Naples has never been on the list before. There's representations from Buenos Aires. Miami, Bangkok, Athens, you know, so pretty much everywhere. We've got Dubai, we've got Portugal, Red Frog from Portugal are on the top 50, which is fantastic. That was a, a new entry at number 40. Locale in Florence is a new entry at number 39. Who else did we have? Employees Only, which is a re-entry from New York. I'm so happy about that because they really deserve to always be on this list, to be honest. Bulgari Bar in Dubai, new entry. BKK Social Club in in Thailand, new entry. Tropic City in Thailand, new entry. Kumiko in Chicago, new entry. Argo, Hong Kong. That's with Lorenzo Antonori, who we had on on this podcast. We did indeed. And so that's a new entry. But we're going to count down to... Just before you do, I think it's worth reiterating again. I think this really underlines the fact 
something we've been saying for a few years that you could go to quite a lot of places around the world now and find a great bar absolutely i mean we've been saying this for the good but i'd say probably the past five years yeah. it's, it's grown a lot but now with this top 50 awards it's even it's showing itself even more yeah. and i love that and i think that you know from we were speaking to mark earlier about the way the voting system works and how he's introduced much more territories in there i think I think it really shows through in this list. So top three in this list, or should we do, we'll do top five. Okay. No, actually, I want (laughs) to do top six. The only reason why is because there's a new entry and that's from the folk at Double Chicken Please in New York. And this is, you know, at number number six. six. So that really deserves a a mention. And then number seven, we've got two schmucks in Spain. So we're in Barcelona. So So we're going from six to seven. (laughs) (laughs) But the only reason I did um, seven is because it's in Barcelona and the the celebration was in Barcelona. So number five, we have Little Red Door in Paris, up 24 places. Wow, incredible. Fantastic. Licoreria Limontor, Mexico City, up two places at number four. And now let's do the drum roll. <laughs> number three, Sips from Barcelona, which wow. is the highest entry at... 34. That is incredible. Absolutely incredible. And a fantastic bar again. Oh, some great things coming up there. We're going yeah. to talk about that in another episode. Number two, Taylor and Elementary from London. And number one is Paradiso from Barcelona. Fantastic. And it, it, I mean, it was a coincidence, I must say, that this ceremony happened to be in Barcelona because this is in planning a long time before yeah, the votes yeah, come in. So please don't people think, hmm, that's a little bit, uh, interesting but yeah it's it's a great great list very interesting lots of conversations to be had but it's just proof that anybody can make it to the top of that list so just keep doing what you do best and congratulations to one and all absolutely the latest issue of the cocktail lovers magazine is available now As always, we're looking at the people, places, products and much, much more that we're loving in the cocktail world. To get your print or digital copy, simply visit thecocktaillovers.com slash magazine.